leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The Obama administration's Cancer Moonshot Initiative is a boost to cancer researchers, but Bruce Zetter says in order for it to be as effective as possible, it must not repeat the same funding priorities of the past and instead should support innovative projects and research against the deadliest cancers. In a recent commentary in Politico, Zetter, a professor of cancer biology at Harvard Medical School and Boston Children's Hospital, notes that researchers follow the money, and that the cancers we've made the least progress against still seem to get the least amount of funding. We spoke to Zetter about his commentary, the opportunities being created by the cancer moonshot, and how he thinks cancer funding needs to change. Bruce, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Daniel. We're going to talk about the Obama administration's Cancer Moonshot Initiative and a recent commentary you wrote in Politico. We've long had a focus on cancer research in this country, going back to President Nixon's war on cancer. NIH spends $4.8 billion a year on cancer research. And then there's the drug industry's own spending. What's different with the Cancer Moonshot and why is it needed? Um, well, I think that uh, it's a a very good time to be putting um, extra attention into cancer and extra funding into cancer because um, the work that has been done over the last, say, 30, 30 years um, has now reached a point where we have a really much better understanding of cancer and uh, are able to, I think, make more rapid uh, advances in treatment and so that money put in now has a chance of uh, developing new treatment and new diagnostic tests uh, much more rapidly than before. Vice President Biden spoke to the annual meeting of the American Association of Cancer Research last week. He talked about the need to break down barriers that there are too many silos, too many people doing the same thing and not enough sharing and collaboration. Is that a fair assessment? And if so, is that a problem of culture or incentives or something else? So I think that we see silos in uh, every uh, type of initiative that we have, um, you know, in, in various workplaces and political parties all over. It's very natural uh, that there are affinity groups and, and that there are silos. 
And I think it takes a special effort to try to break down those silos and bring people together. And perhaps this moonshot, if it really focuses on doing that, uh, will be a successful way to break down some of those barriers. Some are already um, breaking down because I think that there are um, many new advances that have the potential to work across different types of cancer and different types of uh, biological disciplines. So uh, it, it seems that there's already a move to break down many of those silos, and this would be um, an, another way to help do that. You note that the cancers with which we've had the greatest progress are the ones that historically have gotten the largest amounts of funding. Can you speak about where the money goes and, and how these decisions are made? Right. So um, there are different types of funding. There are some, some types of funding that go toward um, basic biologic principles or different types of therapy. And those kinds of things don't necessarily go specifically to one cancer or another. Then uh, the way that our country funds cancer, there are set-asides for particular cancers. Uh, so for every type of cancer, there may be a certain amount of money that's set aside to promote research on those particular cancers. I think if you go back to the time when we didn't treat any cancers very well, there was a natural uh, inclination to fund the most common cancers. And so the more patients that got a particular kind of cancer, um, the more money that cancer received. And those ratios haven't changed. The most common cancers are still the most common cancers, and there are some that, that are rarer. Now, what has changed is that we've made progress in certain cancers, certainly not in everyone, but in certain cancers, uh, we've gotten a lot better. And some of the common cancers, such as breast cancer and prostate cancer, are places that have both received a lot of funding and have made great progress uh, in extending lives of cancer patients. Uh, then there are a variety of cancers, some of which affect a lot of people and some of which affect few people, where the progress hasn't been the same. So that people who get those particular cancers um, often uh, die after a shorter period of time than those who get some of the others. Some, some of that has to do with how early it's diagnosed and some just on how aggressive the cancer is. So one of the things that I've been trying to um, bring attention to is the need to, if there continues to be um, cancer-specific funding, to put it into the cancers where there has been the least progress, where people who get those cancers may still think that there's little to be done to help them. And so if we have new initiatives, such as the Moonshot program, um, it would be great to earmark some of that money for these hardest-to-treat cancers. There's been talk about cancer no longer being a death sentence, but through breakthroughs in cancer treatments that it's becoming a chronic disease, at least in some cases. In reality, it's been an uneven progress. While that may be true for some cancers, it's not so for others. 
is there a growing divide in the world of cancers between the treatable and untreatable cancers? So it's a, it's a terrific point. Uh, when I started working uh, in cancer research, which was in the early 1970s, right when Nixon declared his war on cancer, um, there was no such concept as making cancer a chronic disease. Cancer was a deadly disease, and people were looking for cures. Um, cures are hard to find. Some people are cured, especially if the disease is caught early. Um, but once cancer is spread, it becomes more difficult to treat. The progress has been in uh, developing treatments for people who have metastatic cancer uh, in particular diseases. And cancer is, in some ways, a host of different diseases. Um, in one way, a cancer of the lung may be very different than a cancer of the liver or a cancer of the stomach. So each one of those cancers may end up being treated differently. Also, <clears throat> late-stage cancers are very different than early cancers. So some people who have a fairly benign cancer, um, they're much more treatable, especially when caught early. And then others who have widespread metastatic cancer no matter where it came from, are going to be harder to treat. So the advances haven't come across the board. They've been, in many ways, cancer-specific. One of, one of the best-known um, um, points about that is testicular cancer, where a combination of drugs uh, really is incredibly effective on testicular cancer. I don't think there was a way to predict 30 or 40 years ago that that would be one of the first cancers because it was very aggressive. But there's a treatment that works for it. And I think we're going to see that. We're going to see um, aid, aid uh, on individual cancers. You say to be the most effective, this initiative can't repeat the same funding priorities of the past. It must support truly innovative projects and support research against those cancers that harm us the most. What would that require in terms of changing the process by which cancer grants are made? Yes. So um, the, the moonshot is essentially a blank page. Uh, it doesn't have to repeat anything that's being done right now. It's an opportunity to put money into new areas. Some will be on things that may affect many cancers, such as the great excitement right now about immunotherapy. But there are still particular cancers that, if you get them, your chance of long-term survival is just less. Uh, lung cancer, bladder cancer, pancreatic cancer, uh, ovarian cancers are some cancers that are harder to treat. So this would be a great opportunity to direct more attention and more funding toward cancers like those. Has the problem been money following the research or researchers following the money? Oh, um, let's imagine you're a researcher and you want to do something innovative and you write a proposal to it. You have to write that proposal to a grant agency that 
generally has some money earmarked for what you're trying to do. The very, very, very most innovative work is often the hardest to try to find um, funding for because there are no earmarks for the newest, most innovative work. So um, if you know that there's a large amount of funding for a particular kind of cancer or a particular kind of research, um, you may be more likely to um, direct your research toward that project or at least a part of your research toward that um, kind of initiative where you know that there's money and you have a greater chance of being funded uh, than if you work on something else. So in a way, research does, to a degree, not completely, but to a degree, it follows the available money. The cancers that are among the best funded have also gotten the greatest amount of support from patient groups that have become powerful advocates. How much of a political battle would shifting research priorities within cancer cause? Yes. Uh, so it's it's a number of um, phenomenon. And what I mean by that is that there's more likely to be a lobby for a very common cancer. And if you're an individual, you're more likely to know someone in your family who's had a very common cancer. And so if that happens and your family member has breast cancer or prostate cancer, um, then you may be, in a very well-intentioned way, more likely to put money uh, into a foundation or to lobby Congress or to talk to the press about getting more, more funding for those types of cancers. There's less common cancers, say bladder cancer or esophageal cancer, that you have a less um, chance, a lesser chance of surviving a long time, but because they are less common, um, there's fewer people advocating for them. So what we have, then if you aggregate all those uncommon cancers, you get a very large number of people dying of uncommon cancers. You may call them orphan cancers, um, but you put them all together, there's a lot of people who succumb to those, and yet they don't have a large affinity group um, trying to get more attention for them. We've long heard about this new era of precision medicine and the end of doctors thinking of and, and treating cancers in terms of the parts of the body affected by the cancer, and instead thinking in terms of the molecular mechanisms driving the disease. From a cancer research point of view and a, a research funding point of view, are we still in this world of breast cancer and lung cancer and prostate cancer? Or are we still thinking of and studying and funding disease research based on the organ affected? Yes. Um, I, I think both things remain important. So it's much easier to treat a cancer if you know where it originated. Um, we have a, a um, descriptor of metastases of unknown origin. So if you find yourself with 
tumors in multiple places, but you don't know where they originated, it's still harder to treat those. It's better if you know where that cancer arose. So there are differences that separate melanoma from ovarian cancer, from kidney cancer, that are important to know if you're going to treat them. Then within those cancers, precision medicine is extremely useful for knowing if there are particular mutations um, that might provide the basis for some treatments. Now, there may be many mutations that you'll find um, by looking at the uh, genes that are altered in a particular patient for which there are no treatments. So it's only as good as where there are new treatments. Um, and then we have an, another phenomenon right now that's emerging of treatment resistance. Um, so as these very specific um, treatments come on board, what we're finding is very often the the patient will respond for a short time and then a new um, variety of that cancer that was existing in their body starts growing very rapidly and that one causes harm. So precision medicine has been great for discovering some mutations that are treatable. Um, what it's doing right now is extending lifespan but not yet providing long-term cures. There are some long re responses that we are seeing with um, immunotherapy. And that is something that's extremely promising, although right now it's working on a minority of patients in each type of cancer. And so melanoma, where it's probably been most successful in creating long-term responses, it's working on 20 to 25% of the patients. So we need to find ways to see how generalizable these new kind of treatments are going to be. Bruce Setter, professor of cancer biology at Harvard Medical School and Boston Children's Hospital, also author of a recent commentary in Politico on the cancer moonshot. Bruce, thanks so much for your time today. Daniel, terrific talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.